Pastor Xavier Reese with a simple truth about the last days. I do not believe we're going to go through tribulation. I don't believe the scriptures teach it. I mean, it is going to be bad time. Unless you have the mark of the beast, you cannot buy, you cannot sell, you cannot do anything. And you stop and think, if you're left behind, your kids are with you and they're hungry. It's not going to be that easy, is it? I tell my kids, I go home every once in a while, I go, sure you're walking with the Lord. They'll tell you, you can come back any day. Don't be playing games. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. We are a busy people. We have our appointment books, our PDAs, and overburdened schedules. But how many of us are preparing for the last days? Today, as Pastor Xavier continues his study in the Gospel of Matthew, he helps bring to light the importance of preparing for the last days in an intriguing message titled, The Signs of the Times. Matthew 24 and 25 are our Lord's last major discourse. Jesus is about to leave and in just a few years, 30 years or so, the Roman legions would come in by Titus and destroy the nation, the city, the temple. And so it looks towards that short term, but it looks to a long term view also fulfillment in the last days when God will once again deal with the nation of Israel before his return. You must understand that the tribulation is not for the church. The tribulation is for Israel to prepare her for her Messiah. Jesus has just finished saying, I will leave unto you desolate. And you should not see me to say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord in the previous chapter. Don't disconnect this with the previous chapter. It's linked together. Now, as we look to our passage this morning here in these first 14 verses, we want uh, to not only acknowledge the Lord's proclamation of all these things that will happen, but we want to give to you some information about what is happening today to show you that we are not far from these things. Let me read these 14 verses. Then we'll take and uh, look at them. Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him and showed him the building of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us when these things shall be, and what will be the signs of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Mark that. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes, various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Mark that. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. All nations, not some. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will arise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will wax cold. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, 
And then, then the end will come, not before. The first thing I want to point out to you is that Jesus declares to his disciples that man doesn't see this world under judgment. Verses 1 and 2. They showed him the building, tremendous building. It was known for its architectural beauty. White marble, plated with gold on the dome, and when the sun hit it, it would just blind people. I mean... There was 46 years he had been building this temple, beautifying the temple. This temple was really Zerubbabel's temple that we studied at the return of the captivity. Herod began to beautify it, put all kinds of bucks into it. 46 years. Can you imagine the disciples' mind when Jesus says, not one stone's going to be left upon another? Oh, come on, Lord, look at these things. What are you talking about? And so you and I tell people, the Lord's going to return, He's going to rapture us out, He's going to destroy this world. Oh, come on. <laughs> but notice that the disciples were told that not one stone will be left upon another. But Jesus calls attention. He says, do you see all these things? The disciples saw only the beauty and the permanence of the building and not that it was under the judgment of God. You know, you look at this world and sometimes you, you, you forget, even as a Christian. You know, you walk out, you have a nice day, and, and you go, man, this is a beautiful day. You kind of forget that the world's under judgment, huh? Sometimes we look at things and say, oh, no, this, we're going to be here forever. Look at Rome, look at Greece, look at all the other nations. And yet they're gone. Titus came in in 70 AD, destroyed the temple and the city. Titus did not want to destroy the temple. He did everything in his power to save the temple. so beautiful. But it was written, wasn't it? Jesus had proclaimed it. If, if Titus would have, would have been able to save the temple, you could have just thrown your Bible away and cast out Jesus as a liar. But the Jews fled to the temple in the last resource to repel the Roman legions and they set it on fire and all the gold melted. And to recover the gold, they had to remove stone by stone. Incredible. How could have Jesus known this? Well, when you're God, it's not really hard, you know? He says, I know the end from the beginning. I know things before they happen, so when they happen, you'll know I'm God. I tell you about them. Isaiah declares that. There's another thing Jesus declares in verses 3 through 5, and it includes verse 11. Jesus declares to his disciples, the man is prone to spiritual deception. Verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came privately to him and, and asked him, tell us when these things shall be, what shall be the signs of your coming, the end of the age. Uh, Matthew answers the last question first, the end of the age, then he answers the signs of his coming, and some believe that he doesn't even touch the first question, though you can find allusions to it. It's very hard to untangle this whole thing. But Luke certainly answers the first part of the question as you compare the parallel, as he speaks about the army surrounding Jerusalem and then the fleeing to, uh, to the mountains of Judea. The, the flea is mentioned here, but the armies are not mentioned. But we have the parallel passage. Now, notice 
the warning is real. Take heed, verse 4, that no man deceive you. The very first words out of Jesus' mouth, I think, are so profound. Out of anything he could have said, he says, take heed that no man deceive you. Spiritual deception is at the heart of this world. The systems of men, the systems of this world will try to lead you away from Jesus Christ. They don't mind if you're religious. They don't mind if you're moral. They don't mind if you're a pagan. Just so you're not a Christian. Deception is an awesome thing. We are warned throughout Scripture. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 5. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. 1 John 4, 1. Many spirits have gone out into the world. Jude 3 and 4, content for the faith. People have crept in unawares, poisoning, polluting the Word of God. I've seen many people in the short time that I've been a Christian been deceived in many different ways spiritually. It's not a hard thing. It really isn't. And your only protection in mind is the Word of God. If you don't know the Word of God, then you have no standard by which to judge what you are taking in. If you're depending on someone else to always make that judgment, whether it be your pastor or friends, then you are a dead duck. You better know the Word of God. Pray for your pastors. Respect your pastors. But don't idolize your pastors. Check them out. And certainly all of us as men have feet of clay. And so the standards of the Scriptures. Very important. Verses 5 and 11 tells us the deception is subtle. By saying that they would come and say they were Christ. And they would speak in His name as prophets. False prophets, false Christ. Ripping people off. There's a third thing Jesus declares, verses 6 and 8. Jesus declares to his disciples that there will be no peace till Jesus returns. You will hear wars of rumors of wars. Uh, see that you are not troubled, for all things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. But notice that he says, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Only the beginning. And that's the tribulation and great tribulation. We have not gotten there yet. Wars have gone on since the beginning of time. And so, in themselves, they are not evidence of the end. Jesus says it right there in verse 6. But as you look to the world and you see all the wars that have gone on, man has experienced 13 years of war to one year of peace throughout his history. Now, you want to tell me that man is good? You want to tell me that man is not evil? Worldwide health problems. Verse 7 says, famines, pestilence, earthquakes, various places. Famines are common and they have been from the beginning of time. But what's amazing is that we have famines in the midst of the great technology that we have today. Fifteen million are dying 
each year related to malnutrition. Two-thirds of the world went to bed hungry last night. This is what's going on now. Pestilence. They have always been feared, but not now. We have the greatest plague that we have ever known, AIDS. And yet in the strategy of pestilence, there's always the identification of the individual, the isolation of the individual, the tracking down of those he has came in contact with, and then a medical plan to remedy the disease. What have we done with AIDS? We have refused to identify the individual, to trace the individual, to isolate the individual, but we in fact have promoted the infection, the freedom of the individual to be concealed, and we have promoted the loose living as if AIDS is a mere cold. There's the wisdom of the world. AIDS was first known as GRIDS, gay-related immune deficiency. But the homosexual community was so outraged, and it is the fourth strongest lobbying group in the United States, that it was changed to AIDS. Yet, when the disease began, it was related only to gays. But as it progressed in the sexual conduct of our day and many being bisexual and the prostitution and all, it began to jump the chain link into heterosexual lifestyles. But it was not at the beginning. The cover-up by the government is incredible. 30% of married couples who knew they had AIDS, one of them, and continued to have sex with their mate with condoms, after one year, infected their mates. To give you an idea of, of the joke of condoms, the condoms are the same material as a surgical glove. Even surgeons know that those gloves are not 100% sealed. They're porous. And that's why they put two or three gloves on when they operate. Hopefully the, the holes will line up. The size of the opening in a condom is equivalent to the net. You ever see a net on a tennis uh, court? They're, say four by four, three by three. That's the size of the opening in a condom. Do you know what the size of the AIDS virus is? Take a BB, put it through that net. And we're telling our young people to wear a condom and they're safe. The scientists know that. The government knows that. The doctors know that. The homosexual community know that. Do you know that? Interesting. Yet those who abstain, who had AIDS with their mates, they didn't contact AIDS to their mate. Why? Because abstinence is the only solution. We can get rid of AIDS if there was abstinence, if there was morality. But oh, come on, let's be real, let's be real. We don't want to create hysteria. Hey, tell them you're going to die. You want to die? Go for it. But don't tell them you're not going to die because then they will go for it. 
They're lying, deceiving. But notice that he says in verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. We didn't even touch earthquakes, and I mean, that's real relevant today. They're increasing. But you know, I'm so glad my feet are on the solid rock of Jesus. My house may fall, but I'm not going to fall. You know what I mean? My house may fall on me. <laughs> but I'll stand before Jesus. You know what I mean? I hate being negative. <laughs> so let me finish off on a better note. Fourthly, Jesus declares to his disciples that being a Christian is not easy. Verses 9 through 14. Verse 9 says, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated all nations for my name's sake. Mark that all nations. This is tribulation. Great tribulation. Once the church is taken out, you're left behind. Persecution. Now, Christians have been persecuted throughout the history of the church. There are people being persecuted today. Why you and I were born Americans, or at least have a privilege to live in this country, are not persecuted, that's just God's sovereignty. But Christians have always been hated for His sake. During this period of time, there will be great hatred towards Christians. Those who are open to the gospel, those who reject the Antichrist, those who stand in opposition to the government. Now, you stop and think how the government doesn't even listen to us now, and this is the age of grace. What will happen when the, the church is removed and evil runs rampant? Do you think you're going to stand a chance? you think it's going to be easy? I don't plan on being here. There is a new teaching going around, pre-trib and pre-wrath. And this man declares that the church will go through the tribulation and it will be raptured out three quarters through the tribulation. So we've had post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib. We're pre-trib. I do not believe we're going to go through tribulation. I don't believe the, the scriptures teach it. So now we have another um, choice. Three-quarter trip. <laughs> I tell you, I wouldn't want to be caught with a barber and bun in my hand during the tribulation. They'll kill you. I mean, it is going to be bad time. Unless you have the mark of the beast, you cannot buy, you cannot sell, you cannot do anything. And you stop and think, if you're left behind, your kids are with you and they're hungry. It's not going to be that easy, is it? I don't think of myself, I think of my kids. I tell my kids, I go home every once in a while, I go, hey, you guys walking with the Lord? Make sure you're walking with the Lord. Because I'll tell you, you can come back any day. Don't be playing games. Many will be offended. They will betray one another and will hate one another, verse 10 says. So not only persecution, but betrayal. Betrayal is terrible, is it not? Have you ever been betrayed by someone you had confidence in? Have you ever been betrayed by a boyfriend, a girlfriend? Have you ever been betrayed by a maid, a husband, or a wife? Cause you get bitter, angry. It will happen. It's happened before in Nazi Germany. What was the hook? Hitler says, hey, I'm a Christian. And he used the churches to get through at first. And he turned all the kids against their parents. Verse 12, he says, And because lawless will abound, the love of many will grow cold. 
You say, well, this is non-believers. Mark it well. Underline that little word, love. It is the word agape. It's talking about believers. Those who accept Jesus during the tribulation, great tribulation, says some of them will, will give up. They'll turn back. The word's agape. Only a Christian can have agape. So give that to your eternal security people. The agape of many. If they were non-believers, the word agape would not be used. Lawlessness will be the character of the day. But you know, it's interesting. I was down at the beach yesterday, down in San Clemente. And uh, we went down the beach, and, and all these young kids, man, they were just packed in there. And they were bringing down all kinds of drums. They had two bands there. And they were all drinking. And, you know, I mean, 14, 15, 16 and older guys, 18, 20, 21, 23, you know, and they, you know, they look up to each other and they're talking and we're listening. And all these guys scheming on all these chicks. Or say, hey, this girl's easy. Hey, this, that. You know, and we're just sitting there. Incredible. Lawlessness. It doesn't shock me. I was in the world. But what does shock me, even as, as a man, is the acceleration and the boldness and the openness, even in the day that's going on. Some of them could be your kids. It's an evil day. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations and then the end will come. So he goes from uh, the beginning to the end of the tribulation in these first 14 verses. Because Revelation 14 says that the gospel will be preached by the angel, the everlasting gospel. The gospel will not be preached by the church of the whole world. I know that the missionaries use that as a thrust to get people out. Well, let's get out there so Jesus can return. But the Bible never teaches that. It's commendable, but it's not biblical. The Bible says in chapter 14 of Revelation that the, the last angel, the everlasting gospel, he will preach the gospel to everybody. Everybody, everywhere. This is the hope for mankind, not man's system, not psychology, not sociology, not all kinds of isms, but Jesus Christ. And if you run your life by any other standard, you're a fool. There's no other word. If you've heard the gospel and you reject it, you will regret it one day. And yet God gives you a choice. There's a glorious, in the midst of all this negative stuff, here's the positive. God loves you so much that he sent his son and the gospel's preached to you. There's a way out. You don't have to follow. You don't have to be like these dumb sheep going to the slaughter. You don't have to be following like cattle. You don't have to be part of the world system that way you can be pulled out of it by the grace of God but it's your choice while there's time how much we don't know I'm expecting Jesus any day any second but even if he doesn't come in my lifetime I won't be disappointed more time to see people come but as I look to the world sometimes I do say oh Lord Jesus come back because it is so evil so I pray your heart is open if you don't know Christ. Don't reject Him. Lest He reject you for one last ultimate time. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, with a clarion call for all to make a decision for Jesus Christ. And if we can answer any questions you might have, please don't hesitate to contact us. I'll pass along that contact information in just a moment. Now, you can request a copy of today's thought-provoking study from the Gospel of Matthew called The Signs of the Times. As always, it's available on CD for just $4. Now, this message will contain much more material than we had time to share with you during today's broadcast. The title to ask for once again is The Signs of the Times. Or simply mention today's date when you write Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for letting us know the call letters of this station when you contact us. Be sure and tune in for more sound teaching from God's Word when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com.